0: So you having a cookout, 4th of July, inviting some family and friends over, grill out some hamburgers, some hot dogs, have some firecracker cake. Yeah, that's a thing. I looked it up. Found it on a website. The name of the website is Butter with a Side of Bread. That is my kind of food right there. Butter with a side of bread. So who are you going to invite to your cookout? Who's coming? Family, friends, who's, who's on your list of people coming over? there is an article that describes the 28 worst people at a dinner party. They give a a list of of 28 different people. I'm just going to give you a few of those. The overly frantic host, you know, you don't have to raise your hand if this is you, okay? You know, we're just going to go through this list, but you know who you are. Or the overly laid-back host the overly critical amateur cook don't you love that person you know oh no I would saute that I would no, nah, I would do, and they're just constantly over your shoulder how about this person the ingredient snob you're putting cinnamon in that why what about the awkward work friend you know that person that just kind of shows up and you're like oh man yeah they're here how about the guy who never leaves That's someone else on the list. You know, they're just, they won't ever leave. Love this one. The vegan, gluten-free, lactose intolerant person. And here's what's great. It gave a description for this person. They didn't bother to tell anyone about their food allergies and their choices until they sat down to eat and they started complaining that the only thing they could eat is the asparagus. But you don't have the heart to tell them that the asparagus was cooked in bacon grease that's fantastic that's good There's always somebody interesting at a cookout always somebody interesting at a dinner party but but what if jesus were to have a cookout who would jesus invite to his cookout who who would come through the back gate into the backyard and grill out with jesus well we are i think officially finishing our series uh, doors Although I think it was Ruth, Ruth, thank you for throwing a whole other idea out there to me on social media today. So I don't know, maybe we may have to go one more week. Uh, We've been looking at the most defining doors in life, and today we're going to look at freedom's doors. Our message today is freedom's doors, and what we're going to do is we're going to look in the Book of Luke, Luke chapter five. If you have your Bibles, will be in Luke five verses twenty-seven through thirty-two, and. And what Luke's going to do is he's going to kind of walk us in to a day in the life of Jesus. And on this particular day, Jesus was at a cookout, and there were invitations. Now, Jesus wasn't hosting the cookout, but he was the one responsible for the invitations. And as we look into this day and we look into this cookout, I don't want you to miss the fact that one of the invitations that Jesus has is directly and specifically for you. There is an invitation from Jesus for you. So listen as we begin, Luke chapter 5, verse 27. And Jesus went out and looked at a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So the Roman government came in and took over. And one of the things they did was they set up these tax offices and so they wanted some tax collectors so they offered the job to some locals wherever they were and some of the locals that took the tax collector jobs were from the Jewish people and so the other Jewish people saw them as traitors. They saw them as people who were going to work for the enemy. Now, why in the world would they put themselves in that situation? Why would they put themselves in a situation where they were going to be seen as the enemy, where they were going to be hated, seen as traitors? Well, the reason they did it, because there was a ton of money to be made. They made a lot of money being tax collectors. Here's the system. So the Roman government had like a number in mind, you know, and as long as they got to their number, they were fine, they were good. And they gave authority to the tax collectors that they could take up whatever they wanted to as long as they got their number, the tax collectors could keep whatever was left over after the fact. So just play this out in a scenario. So imagine that your tax bill was $100, okay? And you go to Levi and and you're there, you know, with your tax bill and you say, okay, here's my $100. And he says, well, actually, we've had a shortage of tilapia this year. And because of the shortage in tilapia, we've had a decrease in local boat rentals, and we've had an increase in local camel rentals. And because we have lots of new camels that have come into the community, because of that influx, we've created a new camel hospitality tax. And so your bill is not going to be $100, it's going to be $200. And there's no appeal process, okay? Okay. I mean, the appeal process is, is that the, the assistant treasurer in Levi's office will take you out back and they're going to get your tax money one way or the other. This was the atmosphere. This is what happened. And so needless to say, there were very few, if any, people in town that liked the tax collectors. No, they, they hated the tax collectors. They were angry at the tax collectors, not because they were collecting taxes, but because they were liars, they were cheats, they were greedy. And Jesus turns to one of those lying, thieving, greedy, mobster scum of a tax collector, and he says, follow me. Now why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus look at someone that everyone hated and say, I want you to come join my church? Well, Jesus is gonna give an answer to that question in just a moment, but first, it'd probably be a good, helpful reminder for all of us to remember that no one, even though it feels like it, and my guess is every single one of us can think of at least one person, but no person is outside or too far gone from the grace of God. J.C. Ryle said this, we must never say of anyone that he is too wicked or too hardened. Are too worldly to become a Christian. No sins are too many or too bad to be forgiven. No heart is too hard or too worldly to be changed. Listen, there are some mean, wicked people outside of the church. And there are some mean, crusty people inside of too many churches. But no matter if it's outside or inside, none of those people are out of the reach of God's grace. Or maybe put another way, none of them are out of the reach of freedom. True, lasting freedom from sin. No one is beyond the reach of God, not even a greedy, wicked traitor of a tax collector. Jesus turns to Levi and he says, Follow me. And how does he respond? Verse 29. I'm sorry, verse 28. And he left everything behind and got up and began following him. Now my first thought in reading that was, what would the Roman government feel about that? Now, how would they feel about their, their local tax collector just like quitting immediately? No two-week notice, just, just out. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking at the very least they would be unhappy about it. They they might make you know, Levi have some time in jail, or, or maybe some Roman soldiers going over for a beatdown. But at the very least we could say that if using modern language, that, that Levi was walking away from like, maybe a six-figure salary, that he was walking away from maybe a million dollars in annual profit, like immediately just picked up and walked away, no turning back. He left his career, he left lots of money, he left lots of authority. leaving it all at once, for what? For the words of a wandering carpenter. Why? Why would he leave, and why would he leave so quickly, and why, why would he leave everything? Well, the Bible doesn't give us a backstory on this, but, but we do know that it's very possible this isn't the first time that maybe he had ever seen Jesus. Jesus. I don't know, maybe, maybe Jesus came and, and stood next to the tax booth and was teaching and, and, you know, Levi had heard him from time to time. Or, we do know that they wouldn't have met at church, though, because the church bylaws would actually include that tax collectors couldn't come. They you know, couldn't even come in the building, couldn't come on campus. You know, they, they just weren't good enough. Someone even suggested that maybe Levi was the, the regional tax collector for Mary, And that Jesus had known him for years, you know, stopping by all the time to pay for his mom's taxes. We don't know. It's even possible this is the first time he ever had any interaction with Jesus. That he heard the voice of Jesus and one time began to follow. We don't know for sure. What we do know is that Jesus went up to this greedy, hated traitor. Someone that most everybody would have nothing to do with except having to go pay. And Jesus said, look, I I want you to follow me. In a loving but firm voice, he said, please come follow me. Remember, most of the people in town hated him, but Jesus didn't have any hateful words. Jesus didn't huff and puff at his terrible business practices. Jesus looked at him, loved him, called him. Really, it's it's a commanding type of call follow me. Wasn't an emotional decision, you know? Levi wasn't listening to Jesus lead four verses of a hymn and and on the last one he just finally gave in and, and came to the front and responded. No, this is a man who gave up every single thing that defined his life and he followed after Jesus. Does that mean all Christians have to give up every single thing When they start following jesus does everybody have to quit their job and walk away no it doesn't mean that at all it does mean though that if you're going to follow jesus that you do have to look at what you love the most in life because following jesus does require ultimate devotion to God and God alone. doesn't mean you can't love other things and other people and your sports team and bacon and whatever else, but it does mean your love needs to be ultimate. Your affections, your attention needs to be ultimate toward the one true God. If not, then everything else runs the risk and everyone else runs the risk of being an idol. You, you do have to get rid of your idols when you follow Jesus. And that, and that doesn't mean you know, getting rid of your, your Otis Nixon bobblehead or your you know, Bigfoot statue in the backyard, okay? It means that your devotion, your passion, your purpose, not perfectly because none of us are perfect, but it's all set on Jesus. That's, that's what it means. On another day, Jesus said, if you're going to follow after me, you have to take up your cross and follow after me. You have to deny yourself. So just a question for your heart and my heart today, is there anything keeping you from following Jesus today? Have you truly denied yourself? Have you truly taken up your cross and and followed after Jesus? Is there a particular sin in your life that's keeping you from following Jesus? And this may sound strange, is your profession of faith keeping you from following Jesus? In other words, you, you prayed a, a sinner's prayer and you were baptized and you joined the church, but if you look in the mirror, you see that there is no reflection of Jesus Christ in your life at all on any daily basis, and there hasn't been for a really, really long time, if ever. Or is your citizenship keeping you from following Jesus? Or are you in this cloud of saying, well, I'm an American and all Americans go to heaven, right? Or maybe you think you're not good enough to follow Jesus. Maybe you think there's no way that God would let you into his heaven. Well, regardless of what's keeping you from following Jesus, I want you to know that right now in this moment, Jesus is inviting you with the exact same words that he invited Levi. He is saying, follow me. If you're a professing Christian and and you're not really following Jesus, you're just going to church, Jesus is saying, follow me. If you're someone who's, who's never had any interaction with the truth of the gospel, Jesus is saying, follow me. If you think you're not good enough, Jesus is saying, follow me. So humble yourself and follow Jesus today. Quit the, just the craziness of trying to clean up your life so you can be good enough to follow Jesus and just follow Jesus the invitation is the same the invitation never changes. Follow Jesus. if you think you're not good enough to follow him then then take it from a former monster mobster scum trader tax collector because Levi would say to you, you know what you aren't good enough to follow Jesus. You aren't, but he's good enough to save you. Levi would say, you know, your money, it's not going to matter. You know, that that three cents you're trying to save on gas, you know, when you die, it's it's not going to matter that money that you're trying to make sure you're putting away, when, it's the, when you die, it's not going to matter. All the, the money and the things and the possessions and the, the accolades and the accomplishments, there's nothing sinful or evil or, or wrong about any of them, but if you are putting your confidence in those, they will not be there for you in the end. They will not have value in the end, but Jesus is an endless treasure. Levi would say, you know what? You can't save yourself can't do it, but Jesus can save you, and he can save you to infinity and beyond. So the question for all of us is this, are you truly following Jesus? Levi didn't make a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ and then go do whatever he wanted to do. He left his tax office, and he followed Jesus, And he kept following 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 Jesus. He didn't stop. And what was the first thing he did after he started following Jesus? Look at verse 29. And Levi gave a big reception for Jesus in his house, and there was a large crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. You know one of the easiest and clearest signs that a person has truly been saved, that they're truly a Christian? They actually really, truly want other people to meet Jesus. Yeah, it's not like, oh, I got my salvation, and I'm going to sit in the pew at my church, and this is my thing. No, there is a passion for other people to meet Jesus. That's that's a sign of true salvation. It's it's not even a, a hard sign. So Levi, he throws a big cookout at his big house for all of the big wigs in the church announcing that he had found religion, right? No. Levi throws a cookout and he invites all the scum. He invites all of those guys that are just like him, the the greedy traders. He invites them to come over. And why? Well, because someone else was at the cookout. Jesus. See, he wanted them to meet Jesus. Jesus was the guest of honor. He was the reason they were having the cookout. Levi wanted those people to find the same peace and the same freedom that he had found. In a moment, he found true, lasting freedom, and he wanted his friends to find that freedom. Let me just step on all of our toes just for a second. When was the last time You had a cookout at your house for the sole purpose that people would meet Jesus. When was the last time you went to breakfast or coffee or lunch with someone for the sole purpose of helping that person find Jesus? Levi left everything to follow Jesus. He, he had this passion to follow Jesus, and he didn't think leaving everything was a bad thing. He wanted to celebrate his salvation, and he wanted his friends, these people, these people that he had worked with, people that were like him, sinful people. He wanted them to meet Jesus. He wanted them to find freedom. He wanted them to be able to celebrate. But it's interesting, it seems that there were some church leaders at this cookout as well, and and what did they have to say about everything happening? Listen to verse 30. The Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? In different places of the Bible, we have this word that Jesus used, this nickname, so to speak, for people who think like that. He, he called them whitewashed tombs. Yeah, not really a compliment. In fact, there's, there's one place in a, a paraphrase of the Gospels that describes Jesus describing whitewashed tombs like this. You're like manicured grave plots. Grass clipped and the flowers bright. But six feet down, it's all rotting bones. People look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin, you're total frauds. We really, 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 really want to do whatever we can not to think and act and live like manicured grave plots. We don't want to be total frauds. None of us are perfect, but we don't want to be frauds. So the frauds asked this question, "What, what are we all doing with these awful people? This is how Jesus answered their accusation, verse 31. And Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. My friend Russell is a fireman here in our community. He is also serving with the United States Coast Guard Reserve. Imagine one day that I'm outside and I'm picking weeds at the playground at the church, and and Russell comes by and sees me, and he pulls up, and he grabs a life preserver from his truck, and he throws it out to me. He goes, hey man, hang on, grab it, hang on, I'll I'll pull you in. That sounds crazy, right? (laughs) Because I'm not drowning. I'm I'm just pulling weeds. What's happening here in this moment, the way Jesus responds is this, I'm here for people who are drowning. I'm here for people who are drowning in sin. That's his response to their question. And in essence, his response is, I'm here for people who are drowning in sin. I've come to people, see people who are sick and save them from their sickness, the sickness of their sin. And you don't fall into that category because, Jesus is pointing out, you are so arrogant. You're so prideful. You are church frauds. You don't have true, lasting salvation. Therefore, you have no true joy. Therefore, you are not throwing cookouts for your lost friends to find freedom. There is no true, lasting, saving faith. So rather, you just live as hall monitors, taking people's names down when they don't do things the way that you think they should religiously be done. And Jesus says, because of those things, technically, you have absolutely no part with me. See, Jesus was trying to very clearly point out to them, you refuse to humble yourself. You refuse to deny yourself. You refuse to take up your cross, so you have no place with me. Because I'm here for the folks that are drowning. See, those Pharisees and their scribes, what they did was they looked at that cookout that Levi was throwing and they went, gosh, what what a waste of money. What a waste of time. Why did you do all this for those people? It's a waste what you just did. It's somewhat easy for us to hear a Bible story and go, "Oh, I'd never be like that." So let me just confess: every single one of us is just like that. <laughs> we all have our moments where we don't want so and so to come. You know, I don't want so and so to be here. You know, I don't want that guy in the parking lot to come into our church. You know, um, we we had a moment. Uh, Tammy and I had a moment here recently where there's someone who walks through our church parking lot all the time. I mean, I've, I've seen them the whole time that I've been here. Always wave. They always wave back. But this week, I just happened to stumble upon them sitting out front when I walked by, and I stopped and just said, "Hey, I, I've never introduced myself, you know." And, and I, I told Tammy, "I was like, gosh, I've seen that person, you know, so many times." And Tammy said, "I have to. And, and she said, well, I always speak to him. I was like, I always speak to him too. I was like, but you know what? And we kind of agreed. It would have been a really terrible thing that someone who may be in need, although they've never asked us for anything, walked through the church parking lot all the time and we didn't even know their name. Now, I mean, that's not a huge guilt trip, but it's a thing, you know? It's a thing. If we're really honest, we're more like that than we want to admit. But there's this picture that we need to see here in Jesus's response. Because what we may see is a waste of time and energy and money, God never sees as a waste. God never looks at sinful people and says, I'm not wasting my grace on them. He never looks at sinful people like me and sinful people like you and says, I'm not wasting my mercy on them. He never says, I'm not wasting my freedom on them. No, God delights to give his grace. He delights to give his mercy. He delights to give his freedom to people like me and people like you. He does not see sinners as a waste. And that's what Jesus says. These sinners are not a waste. They're the reason I'm here. They're why I'm around. My oldest son is in Washington DC this weekend, uh, up there for the fourth And my guess is, in his time there, he will at least, even from a distance, see the U.S. Capitol Building. On top of the U.S. Capitol Building is a statue. It's known as the Statue of Freedom. It's a 19-foot bronze statue. It weighs 15,000 pounds. It was designed by sculptor Thomas Crawford. When the the statue was prepared and, and brought the, to the Capitol to be put on there. There was a problem. They couldn't figure out how to get a 15,000-pound statue up on top of the building. This was 1863, so there wasn't a lot of you know, cool cranes from Sunbelt Rentals out then. So the team was at the point of, of about to give it up. You know, they are like, I don't know, is it, is it really something that we need to do? But there was one guy on the team that said you know what i'm not going to give up and so he came up with this plan this pulley system of how to get the statue up on top of the dome one observer said this man's plan was genius that man's name was philip reed philip was the only slave on the team so in 1863 he was part of making sure that the statue of freedom got up on top of the dome of the US Capitol, but then two years later, more than just a statue of freedom, Philip Reed actually became free. He experienced the power of being a free man. That statue is facing east, it's facing toward the rising sun. In other words, every time the sun comes up, it's a message of hope. The hope of freedom is rising again. Underneath the shadow of that Statue of Freedom are two bronze doors that lead into the Senate over on the East Portico. Those two doors were also designed by Thomas Crawford. And on each side of each door there are engravings depicting things of George Washington and his life and the Revolutionary War. One of those engravings is about the siege of Yorktown. Yorktown by definition has been described this way, the last major battle of the American Revolution and the start of our nation's new independence. So those doors are filled with messages of freedom. So in a sense, every time somebody goes through those doors, they're kind of walking through the doors of freedom. Those doors are markers of freedom. They sit under the shadow of a statue of freedom, and that statue as it faces the rising sun over and over again is saying, here comes the hope of freedom all over again. Come here, come through these doors. Here again is the hope of freedom rising in this place, rising on this morning all over again. And that hope of freedom became a reality for Philip Reed. It also became a reality for a greedy tax collector named Levi. You know, when you think about the reality that that we are dead in sin and trespasses, that we have no hope of saving ourselves, you begin to consider, man, the fact that salvation in Jesus Christ, that it even exists, sounds too good to be true. You know, Levi, after he started following Jesus, he went by a different name. He went by Matthew. Matthew wrote the first book of the New Testament. And if we were talking to Matthew today, Matthew would say to us, you know what, this whole salvation in Jesus Christ thing, I can tell you from firsthand experience, it is too good to be true. And then with tears in his eyes, I think he would look at us and he would say, but it is true. It is true. And I think he would go one step further and he would say, listen to the voice of Jesus. Because Jesus is still calling you, inviting you, follow me. He hasn't stopped. The invitation is still going forth. And following Jesus means that you are stepping through the ultimate doors of freedom. And you're stepping through those ultimate doors of freedom in the shadow of the greatest monument that has ever been raised, the cross of Jesus Christ. So someone may ask, well, why should I follow Jesus to freedom? Here's why. Because the freedom in Jesus Christ On that freedom, the sun will never set.